The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the winemakers. That pour was done by Bart Hansen himself, and I'm John Myers. we got... Uh, Brian Casey here, and Brandon from Sante. Brandon, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your last name. Brandon Montalvo. Montalvo. Yes, sir. Montalvo um, is an arts center down in San Jose. Yeah, yeah, San Saratoga, San Jose. Uh, yeah, area, yeah, so yeah. No relation, unfortunately. Okay, well, that's... I was going to say, that that <laughs> looks like you got some bucks there. And uh, the incredible Mr. Ian Blessing. Who is being handed a 74 Serato open. I figure if you work at French Laundry, you should be able to handle an Asso. And, and, and he does have an Asso. Please now, bless that wine jar. Or, uh, now, for you guys who don't who don't know, <laughs> totally blow the line, man. <laughs> wah, wah. There are totally a, a bunch of different types of openers, and I like the ones. Uh, now, you know, I think that this is called a sommelier opener, where it has that extra, you know, gives you some leverage. Now, you've got a very old fashioned and a way to um, open very old bottles. Mm-hmm. And it's called Nasso. So you work those two forks down in between the bottle and yeah, the cork. Yeah, it's got the two little, if no one, if you haven't seen one before, it's got the two little prongs. So instead of a corkscrew going right down in the middle, it's the two little prongs that you, you kind of wedge down in there. And they hug the cork um, because a lot of the older corks will and be he, brittle. He did it. Almost like sawdust. So you really want to be careful. He's the psalm at... The French Laundry. <laughs> of course he so, did it. What did it? What we use at the restaurant is called a Durand, which if you haven't seen is 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 pretty cool. It's a combination corkscrew and an also. So the the I always forget the name. The auger yes. goes into the bottle. The screwy part. The screwy part. <laughs> the yes. screw thing goes into the bottle first, and then the also part goes around it, and so you use them in conjunction. So the screwy part helps pull the cork out, and the also part helps release the cork from the side of the bottle, but I forgot how much I enjoyed using a regular also. I think I might just bring an also back to work and start using this more because this 74 came out perfectly with just an also. I'm no, gonna, no, I'm no, no, no $150 Durand needed here. I'm going to order also's for giveaways for restaurants. You are so old school. Chenin Blanc and it with an also. That's like, uh, yeah. you're so oh, hipster. Oh, man, now, there you go. Now that, he's got an idea there, though. No, maybe maybe it's idea. not a rosé project. Maybe it's a white Zinfandel project. Ooh. Can Ian, we can that? How does that smell? <laughs> Corked? Good. Then you wouldn't need the asso. Wait a minute. Oh, we got to yeah. rethink okay, this. Okay, let's go back. <laughs> well, no, that was... Never mind. This is this is questionable. Well, let's try it then. If it tastes like wet yeah. cardboard, we won't drink it. Then. We'll give it a shot. All right. Now, what did you... Exactly what do you have in your hands, Ian? This is the 1974 Joseph Phelps Syrah from Napa Valley. This is the, the first vintage uh, that Syrah was ever produced in California. Uh, first Whoa. Commercially. First commercially produced mm-hmm. in first California. First co- commercial uh, vintage, correct. After Prohibition, right. Since, since Prohibition. You're kidding me. I, I, Sorry, everybody. Uh, yeah, this sucks. Um, I just got a text message from my wife, and Tom Petty just died. And I know by the time you guys hear this, you all know that. Shut and up. You've all put out your um, 
your comments everywhere and and stuff. But yeah, it's hitting it's hitting here. So anyway, God damn it, bad damn. day, man. Yeah, bad day. Yeah. Wow. Not, wow. And Las Vegas last night, yeah. or you know, uh, things are going crazy. They need to. Every, everybody just needs to calm down. Keep calm and listen to um, the winemakers and drink good wine. That's all you need yeah, to my do. My mom would say everybody needs to stop and take 32 deep breaths. 32? Yeah. Ian, what was the, what, what's that look on your face now? I'm, hoping try, this, I'm, trying. I'm, I'm really hoping this isn't cork. Well, it's... Ooh, yeah, and it's definitely lost all its color. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. the color's browned out, absolutely, so... My the, the the first smell just out of the bottle. You know, you do that that quick whiff after you open a bottle. The first smell from the bottle smelled corked. So I don't mm-hmm. know. We'll see. Well, you guys ought to be able to tell. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that that's sad. That's it is, isn't it? When you have a good well, well, no. it might blow off a little bit if you put some in your glass and it, and let it blow off a little bit. You want to have a plastic bag? Some fruit. You know the plastic bag trick. No, what's a plastic bag? Bar? I've seen people do it before. You take a, a piece of, uh, like, a plastic sandwich bag, and um, or maybe it's saran wrap, one or the other, and you put it in the wine, and there's some sort of reaction that binds the TCA and uh, improves the quality of the corked bottle. It's like the copper penny for corked wines? Well, that's not corked wine. That's, uh, that's H2S. For, for, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which also works. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Go back. What What are you guys talking about? A penny for what? Copper. Um, if you use copper, if you have a... It, traditionally, in in the past, if you had a... Wineries would always have copper fittings, or actually, I guess it's brass fittings, um, because uh, brass makes hydrogen sulfide. Um, it, it makes the aroma go away. Uh, it somehow binds with the brass and blows off the aroma of hydrogen sulfide in wine. Okay, so the so a sulfury smell, like if it's something like uh, rotten egg or you know, uh, smell it again, Ian. I mean, it's well, it's, there, it's, there's it's a, weird. A, it's immense out. amount of crap in there. I'm not sure what exactly it is. It's really, it's really interesting. It kind of smells like you know when you haven't opened up your barbecue in a while. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it has that, yeah, I mean, it is. It's yeah, that kind of <laughs> that uh, charcoaly. Yeah, it's very interesting it, one. It, it it tastes like that too. It it tastes charcoaly. Yeah. It tastes like old charcoal. Well, that's that's too bad. Which, no, is, I, real, which I, is a really I, bizarre thing. I to brought say. A, a bottle of shampoo. You know. So wait. Go. Sorry, John. Yeah. Going back to 1974, there weren't probably very many French oak barrels, if any. Um, there were probably a lot of old bourbon barrels, and if they aged it in bourbon barrels and at 12 percent alcohol, yeah. um, you know, it's not like it, it would just suck that up. And that could just be what's left of the wine at this point is the the oak. I I, I would love to know the you know the history of that. The only reason I think it, it it's off a little bit is because we did taste that seventy five right uh, a, a a year ago or so, and it was it was it was amazing. It was it was really expressive. It was still very much alive. It was very it was, it was still old. It, it wasn't you know it was it was definitely a little bit past its prime, but it was it was really interesting and it was it was very sound. Um, this wine is is kind of hard to figure out it, it it smelled really corked right off the bat it yeah. is blowing off a little bit and it does just smell like maybe it's just old and funky or maybe it just has a really I mean, a really small percentage that, of tca like, that that aroma there is like walking into um 
a, a barbecue place in Austin, Texas. Or a, it's like sticking your head in that smoker. Or if there's even like a salumi. Yeah, a charcuterie. That's, that's amazing. To yeah. Me. And it was bottled literally this week. Uh, har- harvested October 5th, 1974. So today's October 2nd, right? Yeah. 2017. I just thought this would be interesting to bring here to the Roan Room. We are at the Roan Room today. Yes, we are. With Sandra <clears throat> Bernstein uh, inside. And um, Joseph Phelps was one of the original Roan Rangers. Really? Uh, so he um, was a pioneer, um, lover of French wine and, and Hermitage. And well, Ian, um, one, of the, one of the wines that you turned me on to was the Chen Bleu. The Heloise, yeah, and I carried some. I, I I bought a lot while we were there, and when we drove around France, we just drank it. And I ended up just bringing one bottle back, and took it to Grenache night, and it was oh, corked no. and badly corked. I just left it there. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I was so pissed off that I just left it. So <laughs> I write to uh, the folks at Chen Bleu. And they said not only would they replace that, but I had bought a several magnums. They said no, we'll just we'll we'll send you two magnums to replace that one. We're very sorry that you took it to a special event, and it was corked. And we'll talk to our cork manufacturer about wow. it too. And that's, that's and, incredibly sweet. That's and really I, nice. I thought it was really really outstanding of those guys to replace it. And now I haven't gotten it yet, but uh, nonetheless, I did say that. Throughout everything that we opened, every cork was soft. I was breaking corks left and right on every one of their bottles that I bought. What is that? I mean, it's not just me and my opening style. Well, what makes it? it, it, it one would depend on what sort of cork is it. Is it 100% uh, natural cork? Is it a uh, uh, colmated cork? You know, a cork that's uh, cork pieces put together, and then all the storage. You know, how dry is it, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, without seeing the cork, it'd be hard to tell, John. But yeah, it was. I mean, old... that's the thing: is is it dried out? No. And if it's dried out, it was then... not. It was wet. Yeah, and yeah. then that's another problem. If yeah. it's really wet, yeah. um, that also becomes an issue. But they all were, and these are all O nines, O sevens, O nines. Mm. Um, but whether it was in, in the Magnum or, or not, it was, you know, they, they all broke. So anyway, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll, yeah. be, I'll, I'll be able to bring, I'm going to, I'm going to have to err on the side of user error on, <laughs> okay. I'm going to say if they're all, because Sean, they have money. Yes, so I know do. they're using high quality cork. Right. Um, and probably, and you said you brought them home, right? These are the ones that you brought home uh, or they yeah, shipped yeah. to you. I drank it all over France while we were driving around. Right. And then I only brought the one home, so that was it. But I think ones, you need an also. The ones in France were, <laughs> were, were soft cork problem also. Cork problems breaking. Yeah, just opening. They weren't cork. Sounds like they sent all the good wine to the United States and kept the bad corks for France. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, sorry, just a joke. Wherever wherever they uh, are going to uh, find two magnums of Heloise. They're going to send them to me, and I'm going to bring them on the show. So we'll we'll drink them. I I think we can probably do that, don't you? Uh, yeah, John, I'll be there for those. Can I come back that day? <laughs> Make it a third party day. coming back. You know. Any day. Someone get the calendar out. <laughs> so what did you guys think about the '74 Phelps? What was the? I haven't actually tasted it yet. I've just been smelling it. Yeah. So I guess we need extra glasses, don't we? So at that point. Yeah. Are you, I mean, it, are it, you it, doing it the definitely, run? going back a second time, it's definitely corked. 
and then the the extreme corkiness it seems to be blowing off and then showing those flavors that I to me it just reminds me of a of a you know a smoker uh, you know that's had a lot of pork in it which which for um, me almost makes it even more sad than a, a, a really corked bottle right because this is lightly corked right and for for those out there who, who have never smelt cork and, and and most wine drinkers have smelt cork and didn't even know it and drank through the wine they had no idea what they were tasting they just thought it was so that, that that's what I was going to ask the, next. That was the style of the wine, or, or they just didn't like it, or they did, and and they, you know, I, I it was probably you know thousands of times uh, that people have ordered a nice bottle of wine. They thought they were supposed to like it. They drank it. It was fully corked, and they had no idea. They just you know said that they so in, you know I've been in it. from I've a winemaker's point been, of view. I've been it. in a tasting room before, and it could have been one that I was working at, or it could have been one that I was visiting. And they pour you a glass, and it's like, ooh, that's corked. And they go, really? You think so? And you look at the bottle, and the bottle is empty. And so you know that all day they've poured that bottle, which is fully corked, and nobody tasted it. That's my biggest pet peeve when I and go to a bar or a restaurant. When, when bartenders don't smell their bottles as soon as they open them, when a bartender will just pop the cork and pour, pour the wine pour straight away, away yeah. uh, I cringe every time because you know three out of every hundred bottles they're opening are corked and they're sending them out. And it takes that one person to finally say, this wine is corked and send it. And you know, like four people just drank corked glasses of wine. But this, this wine is interesting because it is, it's lightly corked. It's, it's not offensive even it's, you know, I'm, I'm now really sensitive to, to TCA. And if, if I, if I, I, I smell cork all over the place, I'll walk past, uh, uh, there, there was a, a restaurant that I was working at in Seattle and there was a, a corner of the restaurant. It was table 10. Table 10 was corked. I couldn't serve that table because when I was standing there, it that's just hysterical. it just smelled like wet cardboard. And it was it was yeah. the wall. It was the inside right. of the wall that was rotting. And that's it's it's the exact same thing. Uh, there were there was a house that I would walk past. It's mold. On, there was a house that I would walk past on the way to work, and there was a, a span of five feet on the sidewalk, and I would walk past, and it, it the, the house was corked. So there uh, a lot of times in inexpensive leather jackets. Um, you can smell corkiness. I, you know, so weird. It it is weird. And then um, when I first got in the business, a friend of mine was teaching a guy I worked with. He was teaching at the JC, and he was teaching a a defects class. And he would go out and he'd find wines that had VA or find wines that had VA, VA volatile acidity, okay, vinegar, okay, um, or he'd find something that had Britannomyces, and then he'd buy that wine and you know keep it in bags and not tell anyone, and use it for his class to teach people what what these things were. But you couldn't do that with corkiness, so he would actually buy the chemical TCA, and he would dose just inexpensive, nondescript wine. And so he dosed wine. Dosed wine. It was all for education. I guess the Grateful Dead got got into it after so, all. So he used to keep it in the refrigerator of the winery, but that was a refrigerator where we kept all the beer during harvest. So for uh, it was a couple of cases of beer that were in one time, and he must have left it open, and the cans of beer all had cork corkiness. So you'd hand oh, someone, you'd give them a beer, and they'd pop the beer, and they'd Thank go. Thank you, Bryn. Beer seems like it's oh, that's pork. that's bizarre. And it's just because it had layered on the top of yeah. it. Yeah, huh. so it's, that's how powerful. I, interesting. That is. Yeah. Well, as you pour me some of that, Phelps, will you tell me, as a winemaker, thank you, what causes a corked bottle? Because everybody's asking about that. What is it that 
does cause a corked bottle. Uh, <laughs> I guess if I was a uh, classically trained UC Davis um, winemaker, I could fully explain that. It's a chemical reaction that happens within the cork, um, John. Um, it's a mold that grows. Um, no one's really sure if it's um, in the processing or if it comes in from the forest where the trees are um, where the trees are harvested, where the bark is harvested. Right. Um, the Cork Association of America has drastically changed, or the Cork Association have all drastically changed how their um, how they're uh, inspecting uh, trees. For instance, one thing they started doing was they quit harvesting the bottom 12 inches of the tr- tree bark because it was close to the ground where theoretically there's more mold. Right. And they've also gone to different types of analysis um, to kick out uh, problematic pieces. So. so that's that's it. It's just a mold. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and it has to do with humidity and, again, um, how it's storage. Well, it, it was Jeff Cohn who, it can be, it can, who it can also, opened that bottle and he just went, Oh, God, man, bad, bad. But it's, I don't think it's prevalent. So here's two good guys to ask. How, how many cork bottles do you open in, in a month? Two, three. Two to three, yeah. One recently, one last week, actually. <laughs> I mean, out of all the bottles they're opening, that's, that's a pretty good percentage because I think they say industry standard is, what, three to five? I mean, there's a, there's I, definitely I, a lot less corked bottles now. Yeah, it used the, to be 10, the, the 10%. wine industry in the yeah. '90s and going into the 2000s. I mean, cork quality was probably at an all-time low. Now, someone will correct me on those dates, but cork quality definitely went down. There was a lot of it, <clears throat> and 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 they lost market share to the other types of uh, closures, and they got serious about how they were gonna, you know, produce corks and handle corks, and the quality has gone up substantially and they you know of course they can show that in their studies um but personally i think it's the quality's definitely gone well up. and and not only has has quality gone up but but producers are testing their corks oh, opus one is a great example when yes, when you right. do that tasting there they take you to their uh you know technology facility their room lab, the yeah. lab yeah. the lab, lab. That's, 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 that's the word for it yeah. <laughs> i don't do science right. um they take you to the lab and and part of what they do in the lab is is they test their corks and they submerge all of their corks in an alcohol solution and 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 smell them they let yeah, them sit and, there for a while and right. they smell them and if it smells corked then they throw away that entire batch of corks they they they, they take no chances and, and 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 really the way the process really starts and and they probably do that after they've actually purchased the cork. Yeah, exactly. But traditional, traditionally, the way you would do it is you would contact your cork company, and you would come in and they would say, okay, this is, you know, you need X amount of corks. This is from lot one, two, three, four. This is lot five, six, seven, and this is lot eight, so eight nine, ten. So you can track it. And then they will do that exact um, test, either in uh, 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 alcohol or a, a simple wine, and then you go through and you pick out how many corkiness. You can bring as many people as you want, and then you can decide where what you want your grapes to come from. I mean, what you want your corks to come from. Yeah. Well, now, what is it that makes this so um, murky? I guess. I mean, it's. I can't. Well, that's certainly because can't it's a. Yeah. I mean, it's approaching just, to be how many year old bottle of wine. 
Um, and that's it. Uh, how old am I? So 40. Well, you're a little murky, too. So. 43 <laughs> is 43 years hey, old, right? Well, add to, you know, then go to 66. So, you know. And, and you know, and it, uh, uh, winemaking was not nearly as technologic, technol, technologically oriented, <laughs> um, advanced as it is now. And, you know, this could have been an unfiltered wine. And it it, lo- it looks unfiltered. Yeah. I mean, we, they may which, not even had hot water on the winery in 1974. Which is interesting to see what, what does look like an unfiltered wine that, that's that old, is that it does have this really interesting, beautiful color to it that, mm-hmm. that looks unlike, you know, e- even any other, that, that 75 Cheval Blanc I was talking about earlier, this looks vastly different, and right. it's the same age. Well, see, now, that, that's why we got this tablecloth, and the, why we got our mic... Um, uh, protectors, um, because you can spit, you can spill, you can do anything, and it's all wine colored. So we don't care anymore. It's very practical. I, yeah. Oh, it is because I've we've spilled. I think I'm the only one who's really spilled. I was gonna say, what's the we and? Yeah, I think I, I think I did that. But there's uh, a reason we got this tablecloth. Yeah, <laughs> for John. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it was at my house that we did it. I was a little freaked out. Yeah, about the and table. and you're responsible for all the equipment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why it sits near me. And, by the way, uh, they are building next door if you hear a few uh, drills and things like that going on. But yeah, does anyone know what they're doing? Well, it's from the Fat Pilgrim. I think they're just expanding. And so. I think this is this is the guys who own the Sonoma Hotel. So they, they rent out the girl in the fig to Sondra Bernstein, and then they own this property. That's they own right. the garden as well. And then that store that's next door that sells, like... Uh, farm kind of like farmy kitschy kind of stuff um you, sh- then, you shop there a lot uh you? no <laughs> not not yet <laughs> not lately <laughs> yeah no it's very sonoma style um and then you've got the roan room here but it looks like they're adding on to that store uh, yeah so they they stopped for a while when we first started recording but now they're um, that's okay they, they got to get their job done so you know what so do we and we're we're doing just fine so well, these wines have been beautiful today. I'm letting this one um, open up a little bit before I get <laughs> into the... I just, I can't... Um, this is like sushi. I can't do it. The, 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 the raw fish just does not want to go down. And, um, you know, you can sear it. Fine. I'll eat it. It's no problem. But anyway, it's just a little... Um, funky fruit well, it's got that, that french funk so that that's really what, what i was saying the, the bummer about this wine is that <sighs> some wines are so corked that it, it's it's not even sad it's just it's kind of a bummer you open it up and you go well that sucks <sighs> and you dump it down the drain and then you open the next one this bottle is so unique and so rare and it's so lightly corked that you can drink through it yeah. it's 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 possible to still it's not so offensive that you can't drink it but it's just corked enough to kill the wine so you can you can peer through those flavors you can still get some of those really interesting beautiful those barbecue notes those smoky meaty gamey <laughs> notes to it they're there they're just hiding below this very faint level of cork taint which is is unfortunate re- really yeah. really great, kind great of, description kind of depressing <laughs> but uh, i'm gonna now, move on to something a little fresher <laughs> we we switched uh, on the first show from uh white to the second show on to the reds and we've got everything that we're drinking today besides the 74 Phelps, is available at the Rhone Room. So, including yours, Bart. Yes. Now, you've got your Grenache in there. Yeah, Sandra's carrying my double, 2014 double gold winner. 
Double gold. Uh, double gold. Uh, double 2014 gold. Uh, Grenache from Juicy Creek Vineyard in Glen Ellen, California. And the Domaine La Roche is uh, Available here. Also, she just you just brought out another. The country I, just brought, I, I really like this Grenache. I'm 2016 Mendocino, especially County. for a day like today. It's kind of light drinking. It's not a, a heavy style wine, and it's it's from um, Mendocino, the Sawyer Vineyard, which Sebastian Donoso, who was the winemaker at Campo Vida, um, used mm. to do the Grenache for us at the Girl and the Fig, and then he has since moved on That's to uh, Bonterra. Okay, so now he's the head winemaker at Bonterra. And the guys who are um, the winemakers for Skylark are buying those grapes. Or maybe now, they own the vineyard. It, has it changed Campo Vito since he left? You know, I haven't tried the wine, so I wouldn't know. But I would imagine it, it has. I mean, Sebastian was such a fixture there. And his style of winemaking um, like was very wine, yeah. restrained, um, which I, I really liked his style. Um, but Gary Breen, uh, who I believe owns the property, him and his wife, I'm sure are doing fine. They have... Uh, it's a beautiful property if you haven't been to Campo Vida. You can do weddings there. You know, it's an event site. Um, they took over the old Fetzer property, so it's all organic gardens. Well, it was actually the old Bonterra. Oh, was it the old Bonterra? Yeah, okay. Pretty yeah, sure just, that was what Bonterra was. And they're just super sweet people. I don't know who's making their wine now, but, um, but yeah, I love this Grenache. I love this lighter style where you have that, you know, strawberry flavors and um, especially for nice warm day sitting outside you get, uh, what'd you get rid of there Bart <laughs> we don't have spit glasses today so I gotta go back to work <laughs> actually uh, so and when I, are you guys pulling in Grenache because we were so we were there what a month ago about a month ago yeah and the Grenache was still hanging out mm-hmm. there um, tasted really good though we were oh, eating yeah. it um, yeah. off the vine it tasted so great. so we've picked um, this is at Lasseter we've picked uh, for rosé already mm-hmm. And on Wednesday, we're going to pull in our first uh, block of Grenache for red wine. Um, that's the Old Hill Field Selection. So the Old Hill Vineyard in uh, Glen Ellen there, um, just past Madrone Road. Um, it's old vine, Grenache. No one knows where the, where the cuttings came from for that. Um, so we'll do that block first. And then we'll just go through as things get closer and um, start picking stuff. Um, It'll it'll be a month from now before we're done with Grenache, and we're going to do some co-ferments with some Uvedra. God, that's we're going November. to do a co co-ferment. Um, well, it'll be end of October. Let me okay. reframe that. Um, we'll do a co-ferment with um, some whole cluster Syrah. Um, so we're doing all sorts of different treatments with the Grenache this year. Yeah, because you guys didn't used to do co-ferments, right? It was all well. We have always done a no. We've always done a Grenache Muvedra um, co-ferment. Um, but it was it was mainly because the block two blocks were so small um, that we just put them together to have a good fermentation. Now because we have so many more acres of Grenache in production and they're really kind of coming into production, it's given us the ability to really kind of experiment. We have another block of Muvedra that's a new block um, on a much warmer area, so we're going to work with that. And then uh, we saved a little Kunwas for some red fermentation also. Wait a minute. Uh-oh. Where did you? Where, where is the Kunwas? <laughs> the Kunwas is up behind the winery, right next to the Grenache. So did it used to go in that weird Zinfandel blend? No, that you no, guys no, do? no. It w- no. It, w- it went in the rosé. It's it's just new to production. Interesting. So I had no idea. It's gone into rosé, um, but this year we picked a small amount. We went through and picked all the the unripe stuff for rosé, 
or the the stuff behind i shouldn't say unripe and then we left out a portion of it to get ripe for uh red it's on the back of the label actually i'm pretty sure is it, it is. on the rosé it, it, yeah. it is yeah. mark didn't mention it but i saw the kumwas we yeah. just picked up the rosé uh, by the glass at sante yeah. yeah yeah we picked up the rosé and the chemende fair chemende fair um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's interesting. Kunwaz is one of those ones I I love to I love to say. Say what? Um, <laughs> yeah. Say what? That's right. Sandra sells the uh, I saw say some what? Say what in there? Say yeah. what? Kunwaz, uh, which we thought was funny because whenever we would mention Kunwaz, people would say what? <laughs> and so we decided let's just make a label that says say, say what. what. So it was the say what Kunwaz, <laughs> who was from Eagle Point Ranch, who actually Sebastian Donaso um, made that wine for us. And I think Sandra still got some bottles here. If you are in Sonoma. And you want to stop by the Rhone Room. What I noticed today about the Rhone Room is I thought it was going to be more of a like a tasting house where you come and you taste five or six wines, and those are the wines she had to sell. This is more like a wine store. She has right. an incredible selection of wines, and the prices are extremely reasonable. Um, there's some, there's I've some really cool made three purchases, and, and she's been open a week. No, and I know so. how much these wines cost, and so she's not doing a heavy markup on the wines. So the... But it's also a tasting room because also you know also a tasting room. W- without a doubt there are wines to taste. She has different flights that you can come in and taste. Right. Um, I know for a fact there's going to be guest winemakers coming in and pouring wines um, in the uh, coming weeks. How do you weeks. know that? Because I've heard that they've started inviting people. Uh-huh. <laughs> you might be one of those people. Anything got to sell wine, man. You got to sell you wine. Got to so sell you can wine. Make wine. Yeah. Part of part of the business. Part of the business. <laughs> I got to figure out how I'm going to pay for these grapes that I just bought, so I got to sell some more wine. Right. Well, I helped this morning. <laughs> yes, you did. So I, I, yes, you I, did. I keep trying. I keep trying. You know, getting the uh, lightning was what opened my eyes, and then the fricks and so. Which that I, wine is drinking so good right now. That I haven't had in so long, because... They took it off the menu, or I can't get it by the glass of the girl in the fig, and I can't get the lightning by the glass, and I, you know, so it's just I haven't had them for a long time, and they taste so good. So I'm really looking See, forward they, to they your it's, Grenache. It's, it's great because they they suck you in by sh- featuring everybody by the glass, and then they bring in a whole another set of wines for you to fall in love with. It's brilliant. Um, I can understand the marketing behind that, but if I want that particular wine, then I guess I have to buy the bottle. And, and what a brilliant thing that is. And, and, and guess <laughs> guess how many times I buy a bottle at lunch? Never. I know. I know. So I like BTG. Buy the glass. Yeah. Well, John's it. one of those guys. He likes having his favorite wine open sure. for him. Yeah. You should. You should. Right. You should have it right. like that. So, <laughs> I, so, I but it. I'm I'm digging the uh, Rhone Room. So I'm sure she. It's there's RhoneRoom.com already up, and uh, so you know a, a, any of these things that we're talking about today, you can get from Sandra. So give her a call. Rhone Room in Sonoma. Go to Google whatever. No. Yeah, that's how I found the address. Actually, I just went to Rhone Room Sonoma and, and pulled it up. And and if you're a lover of Rhone wines, it's worth a stop because you're going to see things. She has access to wines that the public doesn't have access to, like the Domaine La Baroche, the yes. Pure. That's something you can only get at. What, where did Sam get it? Back room. Um, he, he got it at um, uh, Benchmark. Benchmark, yeah, over Benchmark in Napa. Right, yeah. right. I mean, these are wines that you. you only as a restaurant do you get a small allocation of, um, and she's she has that buying power uh, to get those wines, and then for her not to mark them up that much here in the Rhone Room, um, 
yeah, you're good, worthwhile stop on your way into in or out of Sonoma. Absolutely, and you know, like over the internet, so that's what everybody is hearing. So. Get on the internet and order from her. So that's a good thing. She's letting us do this. I, hey, I can sit up, sit out back here. Maybe we get the microphones, get the big, the big stands, and we just sit in the Adirondack chairs, and sort of like Artie Lang. There'd be nowhere to put the bottles. That's, though, that's what Artie Lang does from his couch. He's got it all wired up so he doesn't have to get off his couch. Lazy bastard. Well, hey, at least we all got down here today. So. Anyway, um, Ian, um, the French Laundry, I have not been there. How long is it taking to make a reservation? Uh, the, the process is, has changed recently. So it used to all be over the phone, and there was this, this misconception that the restaurant was booked out six months in advance or a year in advance. Yes, it uh, was. When, when in, in reality, we actually only have ever taken reservations two months in advance so we actually don't book further than two months out so i can i can, um, I can get something around christmas yeah okay yeah, so, so right now that's open so so the the, the story is actually kind of funny uh, originally uh the the original reservationist uh would sit at one of the tables in the restaurant with her her, her reservation book and there were so many pages of of days she found that the all that she could carry comfortably from the restaurant to the, the reservationist office was two months of calendar pages. So she would only book two months out. So we've only ever booked two months in advance because that's what the original reservationist could carry mm-hmm. from the restaurant to the office. So now you have a bigger reservationist? Exactly. She's working out now? <laughs> we have a, a Hulk <laughs> reservationist that can carry six months of, of reservations. No, so, so we changed from a, a phone system. To technology. To technology. Uh, so the phone system, the reason why it was so hard to get a reservation at the French Laundry was that it was almost impossible to actually get through to anybody on the phone. So you have, you know, so many reservationists and so many hundreds and hundreds of people calling to try and get a reservation that you would get a busy tone every time you tried. And then finally, after, you know, hours and hours and days of trying to get through, chances are you finally got through only to be told that there was nothing available when you wanted to come in. And it was really frustrating. So what we've done is we changed to a system called Talk, which is very much like Open Table. So if you go to the FrenchLaundry.com, the reservations are all done online now. So you just you you punch in uh, the date that you want to come in, how many people at the time, and it'll tell you right away if there's a table Perfect. open. Uh, and and reservations open for two months out from the date that you're looking for. So every every odd month. <clears throat> reservations open for two months after that. Uh, and it's done kind of like Ticketmaster, where you buy your, your tickets ahead of time, you buy your dinner ahead of time, and then when you get there, all you pay for is wine. I'm looking forward to it. So a little um, a little easier now. Joan, you could, Joan really wanted to go. And when she, when I told her you were working there, she says, oh, we we, we, we got to get we you We got to go, yeah. Yeah, that would be a, a treat. I'll, I'll bring you, we don't have it on the list, but I'll bring you some monkey wine. I'll, I'll bring it in just, <laughs> just for you. You, you, you stash some? There, we would never carry a pig pool, I don't think, but I'll, I'll bring some Julibino pig pool for you, too. We can do monkey versus shark wine. I'll never hear the end of that. I'm already Mon- known for, for liking the shark. weird wines. <laughs> um, it's all and, I, okay. and I want to mention that you can come to Sante tonight if you're interested. No need to. Uh, <laughs> our reservationist is 
It's a 360-pound guy. His name is Manu Sopo. He used to play uh, football for the Niners, and he carries that this huge reservation book around. Um, we'll squeeze you in, and, and we'll squeeze you in. We we we're, we got it dialed in. So if you want to, I'm actually working tonight. Um, I think Brandon's got the night off. You lucky bastard. Mm-hmm. And they um, do have monkey wine on the list. They do not. <laughs> hey, I don't care what you say about it. Fable Mountain was good. It was really, really good. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at what it. Bart has taught me. It may not be the wine; it's your palate, and you're just not familiar with it. And I think so, John, John was the only know. person to ever come into the Girl in the Fig and, and order a six-pack to go that wasn't a Girl in the Fig wine. <laughs> we used to sell the Girl in the Fig wines. If you bought a case, there would there'd be a little discount, and the, and the, the rosé oh, was amazing. People people would come in, and they would buy you know the cases of rosé, but nobody ever came in and, and ordered a six-pack of any non-fig wine. John would come in and order six-packs. <laughs> Is it wrong? No. No, it's not at all. <laughs> So, Remember, yeah. you know, we always say that th- th- this grouping is, you know, Sam represents the grower, I represent the winemaker, Brian is the uh, psalm, and John is the most important link. The, the consumer. consumer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with consumers. Po- with points. Without which none of us would have a job. Absolutely. Um, I don't Seriously. know. Somebody else would be drinking it if I wasn't. So, um, Can I mention just in this show, because we haven't mentioned it, um, Bart made a Chenin Blanc. <laughs> and... For those of you that haven't had Chenin Blanc before, do yourself a favor. Um, go to danesellers.com. It's live. Order a bottle. What's it like? What's a Chenin Blanc? You know, it's... Um, Describe it. What, what I think was cool, what Bart did with this particular vintage is, well, he sourced out of a different vineyard, so he's getting it from the uh, Buddhist Dharma vineyard. And then he also did three treatments on it. So he did some in stainless, some in cement or concrete, and then some in oak. And I don't know, did you get to try them all separate? Did you get to try them? Yeah. yeah. So trying them all separately, the, it, each one brought something different to the table. But then um, when everyone would try them, we found that blending them together actually was the most interesting wine that he created. Um, so, so that's the Chenin Blanc 2016 Buddhist Dharma Vineyard. And it's I, I, I don't know, can you liken it to, I guess the closest thing would be sort of a cross between Viognier and Chardonnay? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I like to not think of it so much as Chardonnay. I, I mean, it, it's it's a crisp wine um, because of the concrete um, fermentation. It has a, um, it has a, a lightness or an airiness mm-hmm. of it, you know, um, kind of lifts the wine a little bit. Um, and, and then it's got those just those classic, you know, apricot and, you know, someone told me it reminded him of beeswax. And um, and I, when I heard that, I was like, yes, that is beeswax. And my wife thinks it's a ridiculous descriptor and hates it. But I loved it. Um, so yeah, that, that concrete fermenters, if, if you don't have one, you're a wine you don't have one, get one. Well, you um, know what? I mean, you have to be careful. I, I, now that we've worked with it for a couple of years at Lassiter, you know, too much concrete is it, when people are saying it's 100% concrete aged or fermented. I, I'm gonna look at it differently because it, it can be very one-dimensional and over, very overpowering. Um, but a small amount um, can really add an extra complexity to the wine. Yeah. 
When did cement get popular? Because it used to just be stainless or oak. Well, uh, cement's been, it, it's, cement is actually an old world uh, phenomena. And, um, you know, in France, they always coat it with, um, they, they paint it or it's actually an epoxy. So the wine doesn't actually really touch the concrete. Um, here in the United States, it was a little bit of the same way. Sometimes they'd use beeswax or something to, to coat it or epoxy. Um, the winery that was at Lasseter before, you know, when they bought it, had old concrete fermenters that go back to the early 1900s. Wow. So, um, and there are still wineries in Sonoma and Napa County that still use old concrete fermenters. I mean, Martini and Pratty out in Sebastopol, they use those old concrete tanks. Well, I think it probably goes back to amphoras, right? That's probably... Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, kind of it goes back to... the new age amphora? Yeah. I, I mean, well, although amphoras, that's the big, you know... That's the big rage now because you can afford to buy a amphora, um, you know, um, at ba- about ba- a third of the price of amphora. A, okay, so help me out here. It, amphora uh, bodies are made from clay, terracotta, or terracotta. clay. Yeah, well, that's what the yeah. old Romans used. Well, that's exactly so. Those okay. have, those have right. come back. There's a company in Italy that's making them, um, and you know, and in Spain, I've seen them. Yeah, and so they're making a big. I was over at the barrel warehouse over in Napa a couple weeks ago. And so imagine this, you know, 50,000, 80,000 square foot warehouse and it's full of nothing but barrels from the floor to the ceiling. And then they have one corner and it's just full of amphoras um, that were shipped over from Italy. And they're beautiful. Um, I know that um, uh, Katurian's son, um, uh, Sam's uncle, um, bought some and he actually took his where his barrel cellar is they dug holes and they buried them in the ground wow. um, which is what's that's done the that's old, traditionally that's the old in that's, Roman that's, that's wine. the old yeah. style yeah, yeah. so we, um, we we poured a wine the other day from a, a winery called Adafos that makes a Grenache from Steel Plow Vineyard uh, in Sonoma Valley owned by Landmark and uh, it was fermented and aged in amphora and I got a kick out of the the front of the bottle you know a lot of bottles will say one barrel made or 50 cases made this one said one amphora made which I thought was kind of goofy and, and fun yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And those will actually, some were, will be lined and then some will not, but some will be lined with beeswax, like yeah. you were saying. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's no doubt that the concrete um, gives an influence. Um, it's funny, you know, people say, is it porous? Well, it's, it's not porous like a barrel where you get micro-oxidation actually coming through the wood, but it's a rough finish i mean not rough finish it's a it's concrete so it's not like it's not like a uh a a concrete countertop on the inside it's rougher inside so there's air without a doubt stored in that concrete and so when the wine goes through it it there's an oxidation that goes on but it's a different than a barrel so it's and i would say it's non-porous as opposed to being porous so it's in between you would say stainless and oak in terms of yes how much oxygen yeah the wine receives. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, in a topped up stainless tank, you know, it gets no oxidation to the point of that the wine starts to c- kind of get stinky, right? Because it's had no ox- oxidation. Um, it becomes reductive. It become re- becomes yeah. reductive, yes. Something interesting that I, I just learned the other day, the, the wine's talking about white burgundy earlier. The, the, the classic kind of descriptor for places like Merceau is this flintiness yeah. or this, this, you know, gun smoke, right. this steeliness to it. Um, that I've always assumed was just a, a, a trait of of the terroir of, the of the minerality of, yeah. of but, where but it's I, from. Yeah. But I think but it's, that's it's, also a yeast. It's actually it's, it, it, and, and, a, and a product of reductive winemaking. Right. So 
Burgundy went through this this premox phenomenon for a long time, where or or or, or premature oxidization, where <clears throat> the wines matured much faster than they should, and so within it, it was this period from what was it the '90s to the the mid 2000s, um, where wines from that period, if if you open them, there's a good chance that they're they're just gonna be they're gonna be gone. Um, the wine might be 10 years old, but it's going to be drinking like it's 40 right. uh, and it's just not enjoyable. So a lot of winemakers, and that was a product of, of the wines receiving too much, too much oxygen during fermentation. So a lot of winemakers, Cocherie is one of them, Lefleve, uh, Rouleau, would adapt a more reductive style of winemaking to counteract that premox phenomenon. They would give the wines less oxygen during fermentation, during their upbringing, which countered the premature oxidization but also gave it these really interesting reductive notes like this <coughs> struck match gun smoke flinty mm-hmm. quality so that it's not actually a, a, a product of, of the terroir but but more the winemaking style hmm. and is now something that a lot of wineries in in california people making chardonnay you know in australia all around the world are, are trying to mimic um because yeah, there are there are yeasts that give chardonnay a flinty Kind of gunshot um, yeah. aroma, also natural but, or ones no, that you I, add? no, no. This is a this is a uh, isolated yeast that is that's why people buy it because they're trying to maybe influence a little bit of that to the trying wine. to make it taste more like mm-hmm. yeah white burgundy right because uh, yeah. it, it's a re, it's a really interesting really beautiful yeah. it's you know that that could be in in some lights reductive winemaking can be viewed as as a fault or a flaw like right. we were talking about earlier with you know small amounts of VA can be nice in a wine Italian wines. Almost all have a little bit of VA, and that's right. a characteristic of the wine. Small amount of Brett in a wine can be nice, um, just like a small amount of, of reduction in a wine can be nice. Uh, if if you're looking for it, you can you can add that to your. What's like it's part of your your spice rack or your your flaw your faulty spice rack, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Were you guys talking about white Burgundy? You it, kind of that being one of your favorite things. What about white Chateauneuf? Have you had Ooh. many of the Not white very much lately, truthfully, but I think you, meeting you, has kind of turned me on to that a little bit. I, I think it's something like less than 5% of the grapes in Chateauneuf are white, so it's it's not a it's not a very... Um, Sought after. <laughs> it's not a well-known thing. There's not a lot of them make it outside of France, but um, for me, that's the my favorite white wine has been the white Chateauneufs. The, the um, Domaine Saint Prefer makes one every year. It's 100% claret. And it's only done in magnums. Hmm. Um, hmm, and really? The, and it's nuanced. And that's what I like about them so much is that I think a lot of people will try them and, and say, especially on the first sip or second sip, they're like, oh, there's, there's not a lot there. We're used to being clobbered over the head with oak and mallow, you know, butteriness mm-hmm. and, and oak flavors that when you try Yuck. something that's, that's nuanced and balanced, you sort of, your first reaction is, oh, it kinda, uh, it's kind of watery or it's watered down. But then your palate sort of adjusts after a couple sips, and then you start to pick up these really subtle things. And instead of having two flavors to the wine, butter and oak, now you've got like seven things going on in the wine, but they're all super small um, details. And that's what makes those wines so interesting to me. And uh, maybe I need to get more into white burgundy. I think I think um, Bottle Barn doesn't, for me, that's the <laughs> one area where I've been disappointed um, is with their French Chardonnay selection in terms of uh, Montrachet and Marceau and um, 
Um, I noticed they've they've got a couple Chablis, but um, you mean uh, some of the most expensive wines in the world? You know what? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't mind buying a, a hundred dollar bottle of white wine. No, but um, you know what I mean. It's just availability. Yeah. It's seasonal. Also, those right. wines are only released right. once a year, and there's probably a waiting list, and you know, um, so they just don't sit on the shelves if you're out of release. Dude, time, so I'm right? out of luck, is what you're saying? No. Try again next year, huh? Well, both of you guys, um, did you enjoy doing the winemakers? And would you do join us again? Absolutely, of course. Okay, sounds I mean, great. what what's what's what is wrong with hanging out outside with a bunch of cool dudes drinking some? See, that's the possibly f- not a damn thing. Faulty not wine. one goddamn. <laughs> but but but, but, but mostly really good wine right. uh, outside in this beautiful garden in, right. in Sonoma. Not All a bad right, day well, off. we not will be back off. here. And Bart, I know you got to go, and yeah, go everybody's got to work, get out of here. So. Um, what a great episode thanks everybody for listening and thank you guys for being uh, such good guests so thank you thanks for having us see you next time and uh, once again thanks everybody for listening thanks john